This morning, scripture is from Galatians 6, and starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. There we go. All right. I, I always, sometimes I, I imagine that I'm visiting church for the first time and then someone gets up to read the scripture and then they read that <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. So welcome to our annual circumcision Sunday. Um, <laughs> let's get it awkward right up front, right? Um, there's a lot to talk about here, believe it or not. There's actually some fascinating history and... Uh, and uh, I, I learned some stuff that sort of, some stuff finally made sense to me. Um, I had little bits and pieces, and I kind of found some other stuff, and it all came kind of together. So maybe something will click for you. Who knows? Um, it's like, there's that moment where the pastor should say, and all God's people said, oh, okay. So like that's, I had one of those moments. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage, because this is a, a fascinating passage, right down to the fonts, and everything. I tried my best to capture like what was going on in the original text. We'll get there. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. Thank you for um, this place, for, for giving us a, a building to gather in and to focus on the things of you. Um, thank you for the, the, the time that we get to share just being here and present with you as the center of our time together. I ask that we would be able to, uh, when we come together like this, uh, orientate our lives towards the things of you. And may it stay that way, longer and longer, every time we get together. May we be encouraged and shaped and, and uh, yeah, thank you for the, for the ways that you've been leading us and guiding us. Continue to, to do so. Speak through me, allow me to remember the things I've studied and uh, encourage us all. Give us joy and mission and identity. In your name. Amen. So this is our last uh, sermon on uh, Galatians. And so we started in February uh, of this year. Um, February 5th, I believe, was the first sermon, if that was a Sunday. Um, and uh, through, throughout a lot, we, we've thrown in a bunch of guest speakers and, and some revelation and sprinkled in a little bit of marriage stuff. And, and here we are now, wrapping this up. Uh, in the new year, again, we're going to start the uh, book of Matthew. And um, that's probably going to be a long one. I'll be honest. So if you recall Genesis, it took us like, I think two years, right, to go through Genesis. I was like, no, this will be fine. Then I preached this sermon, and it was just Genesis 1-1. And I was like, well, now we're in trouble. What have I done? Um, Okay. Uh, We're going to start right here. Um, Galatians 6-11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, um, this is great. So you picture Paul writing these letters, and you picture him sort of hunched over a table and writing these letters. Um, the problem is that most likely we're like almost positive, scholars are 
almost positive that Paul did not write his own letters, that he had a scribe. Um, and we get this several places in Scripture. It mentions this kind of activity, and I don't have time to go into that today. But um, Paul, in reality, you can picture Paul pacing back and forth the way I do in a small cell with somebody sitting there next to him, writing down everything he's saying, and he's like wandering, and he's talking, and he's, he's like writing these letters to the churches and all the problems that they're having, and he's just wandering and talking, and the guy next to him is writing down everything he's saying, and once in a while, he sort of probably looks over and says, yes, and then, and then keeps going, right? Um, and then at this part, you picture Paul... Um, walking over to the table, and he's worked up, sort of like, he gets all worked up. He's like, he's becoming like a hot mess, and he walks over, and he like takes the thing, and he pulls it over, and he takes the, the papyrus, and he takes the pen, and he just starts writing on his own, right, in these giant, large capital letters. And then he says this, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And he's got a point to make, and it's like, he's afraid the scribe won't get the point across. He's like, I'm just going to do this myself. Now, another thing we know from studying the scriptures is that Paul most likely had an eye problem, so he couldn't see very well. Um, and so you, you would imagine that like, the font is going to be totally different because scribes had a particular way of writing. It was very professional. Um, and Paul wasn't a scribe. Um, he was highly educated, but he was, he was not a scribe. And so you imagine him taking this pen and writing in giant sort of letters. He doesn't have probably a lot of practice writing. And so it probably looks like a four-year-old writing giant letters because he's half blind. And so it's kind of a funny episode. I don't know. If, maybe it's an inside joke for pastors, but I think it's hilarious. Um, so, um, and then what he writes... Uh, this is what he wants to emphasize is this next verse. So it looks like this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And then he writes this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so you're listening and you don't know much about scriptures and you say they want a what? Um, let's talk about this. Uh, you're gonna, as you study the scriptures, um, modern readers are often shocked at how often it talks about circumcision. And, uh, and they, we try to make sense of this sort of ancient custom, and we try to give it all kinds of meaning. To really understand this, um, this custom, you have to go back a long time. You have to go back about 1,800 years from this point, um, give or take a 100 years. Um, and you're going to go back to uh, this guy, Abram, and this ancient book, Genesis chapter 17. And there's this guy, Abram. He becomes this figure you may have heard of. His name is Abraham. And in Genesis 17.01, you see something interesting happening. He says, it says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then, so there's all kinds of things about what this covenant means, what God's going to do for him. Um, your people are going to be great. You're going to have a tribe that is going to be huge. And it's going to be a good tribe. It's going to be a tribe that's going to bless the world around you. And anyone who comes into contact with you is going to be blessed in some way. And so, in verse 10, if you skip down to verse 10, you see this commandment. So here's all the things I'm going to do for you. I'm asking you to do one thing for me. All right? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you're like, well, that's a weird thing to give in return. That, does that make any sense at all? In, the, to order, in order to understand this, you have to understand the ancient world. So the ancient world was 
tribal. The book of Genesis, the first five books, the books of the Pentateuch, um, and much of the Old Testament was written during a tribal time in human history where it wasn't like these big metropolises like we necessarily have today. Um, a lot of the vast majority of mankind, there were some cities, um, but the vast majority of mankind, especially in the ancient Near East region, um, were these tribes living out their days um, sort of isolated from each other, not separated by that much land, and it was a brutal time to be alive. Uh, you would, the tribes were constantly warring. This stuff is still going on, by the way. My, my brother ministers in a place called uh, West Papua, Indonesia, where they're still living a tribal lifestyle, and there's still tribal warfare. Um, and these tribes attack each other for resources and they steal all their pigs and their women and stuff like that and, and they fight with bows and arrows and spears it's this, it's this brutal time you can kind of get a glimpse of what it was like back then and so in this ancient time period um, you had to grow your tribe and you had to grow your tribe relatively fast and so how do you grow a tribe well the most the easiest way to grow your tribe is to have lots of children um, and so the more children you had the bigger your tribe got and the more protected you were from being destroyed and wiped out by other tribes. Now, each tribe had their own deity, their own god that they worshipped in their own particular way, depending on where they lived. If you lived by the ocean, you would have this god of sort of of water. If you lived in the plains or the desert, you would have different gods, depending on where you were. One would be the god of fertility, um, if you were like an agricultural sort of tribe. And so all of this is going on, and this is the setting in which this book is written. And so if you're going to grow your tribe, the most natural way to grow your tribe and the quickest way to grow your tribe, other than warfare, of course, um, is through reproduction. And they didn't know all the things that we know now, science and reproduction and um, zygotes and eggs and all this stuff. They didn't know any of that. All they knew was what they observed. And it appeared to them as if the man carried the life force within him and put it in the woman, put the life force there to grow. Um, and this is the only way that they could interpret what they could see of what was happening. Um, and so um, a lot of sort of theology got built up around this idea. Um, a lot of their sort of tribal sort of order of government got built up around this idea. A lot of their pagan worship. If you go to the Middle East and you'll see all kinds of um, idols and stuff to this idea. Um, got built up around this idea that, that the man carried the life force within him and was delivered to the woman. Um, and so there's this, um, there's this, and this is, of course, it's where, this is where patriarch comes from and all this. And so in all of this, um, I'm actually going to pause here and I'm going to explain something else and I'm going to come back to this and join two ideas together. Um, the next thing you need to understand other than um, sort of how the people viewed the world and sort of reproduction and life, the other thing you need to understand is the covenant because all of this happens in in the covenant. God says, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I'm asking you to do for me. So what is this? How did, how did covenants in the ancient world work? Well, whenever, and so when I speak of covenants, you can basically think legal contract. There's agreements, there's um, legal contracts to buy land. It's, it's something that was happening, an agreement that was made to where you would shake hands and you would say, um, I agree to do this, and you agree to do this. And there had to be some way to seal sort of the deal, um, a sort of um, a thing that was obvious that we are making a covenant together that everyone around them could see. What are they doing? Oh, they're obviously making a covenant. What would this action be? Well, today we sign contracts on papers. They didn't have that kind of technology back then. And so it kind of happened like this. One guy, oh, 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 I hit the button. There we go. One guy is going to bring a, either a horse or a cow, <laughs> apparently wearing pants, and they're going to bring it 
And, and so they're going to like, hey, we're going to make a deal, right? Yes, I brought the mystery animal. Yes, great. And it could be whatever you wanted. To, it could be some other form of animal if you were more poor. Um, and so they bring this animal. And the way this would work is they would agree to the terms of the deal. Then the animal would be killed and cut in half, right? Uh, they're going to cut it in half. And it's, it's not going to live. And, uh, and they're going to sort of walk together between the animal. And so there's several things going on here. Um, and there's probably some stuff we don't understand that is going on. But what we do understand is that there's sort of this agreement, agreement that's sort of like a curse. We're asking the gods to curse you or something. Like, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, may I be like this animal? And if you don't hold up your end of the deal, may you be like this animal? So ancient covenants. You're going to pass through... Um, a cut animal, a cut living thing. So if you take this idea of the covenant, and you're going to take this idea of, of sort of men holding the life force within them and giving it to the woman, and so you're going to take this, and if you're going to make a covenant, and God tells you, I'm going to grow your tribe, and your tribe is going to get massive, and it's going to be a good tribe. It's going to be a particular kind of tribe in this world, but it's going to be very, very large. It's going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so it makes sense in light of this that some flesh would be cut that all of life would pass through, right? Um, and this is sort of how um, people were, instead of, you know, you, you don't want to wait till your children are old enough and then walk them through some dead animal. First off, you're going to run out of animals. And second, there's a whole like two years where your children aren't covered by the covenant. And so circumcision was a way of guaranteeing that ancient children would be born into a covenant and an agreement. And so now maybe you understand something that has always maybe baffled you. Baffled me for a long time, and I, there was just a little piece of information about how they viewed life that sort of put this together for me. I was like, oh. And it makes like so much sense. And so, um, and so here's what happens. Um, there's this thing, there's this gift, this covenant. And so now the children are born into this. And, and everyone who joins the tribe of Israel, as this tribe grows, some people are terrified of them and some people just see that they're good and they want to join. And they come to them and they say, I want to join. I want to join you guys. And so they say, well, you have to be circumcised because any children that you have are going to be born into this covenant with us. And we're all going to be a tribe together, a good, huge, massive tribe of people. And we're going to grow into a nation and so this became a way of entrance into the community. And it really was supposed to be this beautiful thing um, that meant something important to the ancient people. So what happens is, over time, this turns from a covenant um, about a nation that will be good and bless the world and this view of circumcision was sort of this gift of children could be born into this covenant. Um, and, and so it turns from that into this identity. They actually started using this later on as some sort of racial slur. Um, and so we have passages like um, 1 Samuel 17 where David um, sees Goliath taunting and cursing the people. And he walks out and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? So it becomes, this, and you see these phrases like this all over the place. They would mock people by saying, you're not circumcised like us. So it became this sort of <clears throat> identity. What, it, what was originally meant to be this way of um, bringing your children into this blessing in the world became, we're right, you're wrong. God loves us. God hates you. We're in, you're out. It became this binary 
if you will. Um, <clears throat> and so, as time progresses, it becomes less and less about the covenant and more and more about a way to divide people up into good and evil. And everything they, they saw themselves as good, they saw everyone else as evil. And when you think people are evil, you have less of a desire to bless them and to be gracious to them and to, and to help them in whatever way that they need to be served. Um, and so it becomes sort of this racially charged thing. And then you fast forward to Paul's day. And Paul is traveling around the ancient Middle East and he's preaching this message about this entirely new understanding of God. That the ideas of God that we had before are now sort of, we have graduated from them and, and understand new things. How those were all pointing to the next thing. And he's preaching the message of Jesus. Um... And so the message of Jesus, you know, that, that God's arms are open to everyone, salvation for all, regardless of race, tribe, behavior. It's the gift of God. It's by grace alone, and there's nothing to boast about. And he says, God is calling you, even you who are not like them, even you who don't have these traditions of things like circumcision and ways to identify yourselves. Uh, now the message of God, the salvation of God is open to everyone in the world, the love of God, the blessing of God for all, regardless of tribe, nation, tongue, any of it. And so as Paul goes from city to city, the Pharisees, the children who still practice this ancient uh, practice of circumcising everyone born into your tribe, they are following Paul around saying, that's fine, you can, um, you can, you can know God through Jesus, but, but you need to, of course, be circumcised because that's what God wants. And so... At some point, what was originally a command by God to be a blessing to the world has become anti-gospel. It has become the opposite of God's message. And so how does this happen? How do we go from this thing um, that is meant to be required by God and commanded by God becomes something that God is against? How did it end up, as Paul says, enslaving? How did it end up on the wrong side of the message of God? God gave this thing. It was the message of God. And later on, it's the, it's the anti-message of God. How did we get here? Um, and, and this is a big part of what Galatians was about. Um, the Bible reflects an unfolding story, a growing consciousness, an expanding understanding of God, and, and you have to read it accordingly. You have to read the scriptures as you move from beginning to the end in this sort of unfolding, expanding, things beginning to open up and make more sense. When you grow, you go through stages. We were all children, and then you grow and you go through something called puberty, and you come out of that. And puberty is awkward, and it's weird, and you're not sure what's happening. Um, you're trying to make sense of it, and then you move into this next phase. Um, and puberty is not right or wrong. It's just a step in growth. And so with all its difficulties, it was necessary to make you who you are now. And if you had not gone through that, you would not now be an adult. And so as we read the scriptures, you can sort of see this opening up and this growing and this changing. Um, and so God's people grow and change and learn. And, and there were a people who grew up. Um, remember this conversation we had for about two weeks? We talked about sacrifices. And so at the beginning, um, the message of God goes to people who believed in human sacrifice. And so Genesis, the guy we just talked about, Abram, God comes to him and he says, hey, um, I want you to sacrifice your son on the altar. And he goes, okay. Like, it's totally normal. Because to him, it was normal. And so, 
He packs up his son and walks him up the mountain, lays him down on the altar, and then God says, stop. We're done with this. And we change. And we wake up and say, oh, well, what do we do now in its place? Well, there's an animal over here. I brought it for you. And so now it, this ends and we move here to this animal sacrifice. And then you have these prophets that God sends and the prophets stand up in the midst of the temple because all people are doing is offering animals on, on, on the altars all day long as if everything is totally fine and this just covers everything. And the, and, and the prophets stand up and they say, what are you doing? This is not what God wants. God doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants a contrite heart, a spirit that is humble and loving. He wants justice. He wants love and forgiveness. He wants you to be reconciled to him. And so we we graduate from human sacrifice and then we graduate from like this animal sacrifice to understanding like, oh, this is actually about something else. And so there's these different phases and then Jesus, upon his death on the cross, you know what God is saying there? We are done entirely with sacrifice. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to cut anyone else. You're not required to bring money to the temple anymore. You're not required to give. You're not required to do anything. Anything that you do that is good will now be a response because the blessing of God is just yours. It is grace. It is gift. And everything that you have that is good is a gift from God. It's all a gift. And you should just be thankful and receive it. Salvation being offered to you as a gift, and you can just receive it. And any good that you do is not sacrifice, it's just response. It's, I am loved, so I should love. And so there is this unfolding. And so sometimes you read the scriptures, um, you ever looked up a part of scripture like from the New Testament, and you read the Old Testament, and you say, Well, this seems vastly different. This is like, these do not, like, they go against each other sometimes. Like, you read, like, this doesn't make sense. Um, Of course, because we grew and we changed and God was awakening us to something new. And so one of the questions you need to ask is, where are we in the story? When you're reading something, um, and and people take, one of the problems with with, um, not studying things in context and with a full understanding of what's going on in scriptures is we'll read these things from ancient times a long time ago and we'll apply them to today. They have nothing to do with this. We have graduated spiritually from this. Um, and so God's people aren't infants anymore. We have a very long history, very awkward growth, and it's still happening. Um, about 150 years or so ago, we, we, we came to the collective understanding and agreement that all types of human slavery are wrong. I believe that was God revealing that to us, awakening us to the sin that is in our midst that needs to be thrown out. And so there is this Spirit of God sanctifying his church, growing and changing his church. Um, there is a trajectory. And so sometimes it seems like a verse from the New Testament when it's contradicting something from the Old Testament. You need to ask the question, well, where are we in the story, though? Where are we? And when you find yourself asking questions like, why did God put that tree in the garden? Why didn't God just do this or that? It's kind of pointless because it's simply a part of the human journey. And it's just like you. You don't believe the exact same things that you did 15 years ago. You don't look at the world the same way you did 15 years ago. And it's good. It's not bad. You have changed. You have grown. You've gained some new information and things have changed. And this is also why we can't be bitter about our past. You've grown. You don't throw out your past. It's part of your story. You've grown. You shouldn't be bitter about how, who you were in the past. You should be thankful that you've grown and you've changed. And so instead of being upset and embarrassed, you are thankful. God has brought me here. 
That's where I was. And when you look at other people who are not where you are, instead of pride and arrogance and rebuke, there's love and there's walking with them and understanding that their journey is not the same as yours, that they are growing at a different rate, that maybe one day they'll be where you are, but they are not there now. And you cannot lead them where they do not want to go. And so you stand with them and you love them and you talk about the things of God. You talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for your life now. So Paul, back to our story, back to our book, grabs the pen. And after he says that, he says, it is, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So what is he saying? Um, for Paul, he looks at them and he says, they're being tribal. They're trying to grow their tribe to become more powerful because they want to stand up to Rome and they want to take over, they want to take over Rome. That's what they're doing. You cannot, like, that was fine maybe a generation ago, but it's not okay now. They want you to go through this ancient ritual of circumcision so you can become one of them. And it has nothing to do with God. Because God has revealed to you that this is not about tribes and nations anymore. This is about the world. And the love of God is open to you. So you don't need to become some different tribe to become a follower of Jesus. To receive the blessings and the love of God. He says, the, what they're doing was, was fine a generation ago, but it's not now. We are past this. God has revealed to us something new. The work that was done by Jesus on the cross has changed everything. And so another thing that, he's also, that, that these ancient, that these sort of Judaizers were saying was in order to join us, in order to belong to us, first you have to obey, cut your flesh, you need to meet all the qualifications, and then, you, and then you have to believe all the right things, and then you can join us. And Paul says, God is already calling you. He is pursuing you. Um, you already belong under the shelter of the cross. He, he has called out to you, and all we're asking is for you to receive it the blessing of God, the love of God. We're not asking you to do anything. We're not asking you to change your whole life, to change your whole orientation, to change how you do everything. Um, you now can belong to God if you will just open up and receive it. This is not about behavior. And so there's this, this is a moment, like the moment of Jesus, like the night before Jesus died and the night after Jesus died, the world was, they were two different places. Something happened that changed sort of everything. And then Paul goes a little farther and he says, there is, remember, so I'm actually going to go back to Galatians chapter three. Remember what Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, so Paul jumps back to this. He sort of, this is sort of what all this is hearkening to. I, I think this verse is sort of the center of all of Galatians. Stop thinking tribal. Move on from this day. So um, we move on to the next passage here. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. He says, but, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, um, so Paul says all that really matters is the cross. All that really matters is what, what happens to Jesus on the cross. And this is huge because when you look at the vast majority of Paul's message, he's always talking about the cross. And actually, if you go back and read the stories of the New Testament, the, uh, the four Gospels, it's interesting because they're actually... We look at them, we tend to talk about the four Gospels as if they're biographies, but they're actually like, they're really bad biographies because they don't cover the vast majority of Jesus' life. Jesus was, you know, debatable 32 to 35 years old, 34. Um, and all we have is like, we have a little bit of, of his younger years. We have nothing really of his teen years or his young adult years. Um, all the way up until about his 30s, we have a whole bunch of information about the last three years of his life. We have the book of John. Um, John, starting at, like, before we even get halfway in the, in the book of John, um, he's telling about the, he says, I'm telling you about the life of Jesus and what Jesus did. And then less than halfway through, he gets to the last three days, and the last whole half of the book of John is all about the death of Christ. And so there's, like, this obvious focus on this one event, and then you get, and then you get to the last, book of John, last uh, verse in the book of John, and he says this, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every, one of them to, <laughs> were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And I'm like, well, give it a, ch- give it a try. <laughs> give it a sporting chance. Like, write something else. Because this is all we have. Like, could we not have used all this information about all, apparently, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus taught and we don't have like any of it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that he did, we have none of it. What do we have? We have the last three years of Jesus' life and then the last, but really it's not even three, it's the last like three days of the last three years. And you're, you're kind of like, well, why don't we have the rest of it? Well, there's a really important reason. I would argue the reason they just give you this is because if you understand the cross, you understand the rest of it. All the teachings of Christ wrapped up in the cross. I mean, these guys walked with Jesus for three years, heard everything that he taught, and they're like, so I'm going to give an account of the most, like, the most important things Jesus taught. It was the cross. And it, it sort of narrows down to that. These guys knew more than anyone what the message of Jesus was, and when they chose to write it all down, they write the cross. And so apparently, this is what I want to talk about. Apparently, if you know and understand the cross, that is apparently what we need to understand. And so we dwell on this. We talk about this. The first church, um, the first century church, all they talked about was they, they gathered together and they talked about the cross. It had some significance to them, some kind of deep meaning and if we understand the cross, I believe we'll understand it all. Jesus crucified is what the original church was built upon. God, the most powerful force in the entirety of the universe, um, in the flesh and on the cross. Not on a throne in Rome, not in a penthouse, not in the White House, not famous, not um, sitting at the end of a, board, uh, of a giant table in a boardroom full of CEOs, um, not writing books, not writing anything except for one time when he wrote with his finger on the dirt and we don't even know what it said. The, the divine force of the universe in the flesh on the cross. Lower than any of us. 
And we contemplate that. That's what we think about. And so we start asking questions, and the answer is always the same. Am I good enough? And the message we receive in scriptures, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ built for you. Um, am I loved or hated? You ever hear people talk about, I feel like the universe is against me. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. Am I ignored or do I matter in creation? The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. Um, what about when others say I'm not the right tribe, I'm not the right gender, I'm not the right race? What about when people tell me I must conform, that I must be good enough, that there's something else that I need to do to understand and follow Christ, that there's something else I need to become, that I, there's got to be some track of growth, that there's got to be something because I always hear that like, Followers of God do this, and they don't do this. Like, what, are all the, what about all these things that I'm getting told? The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ built for you. And it all just kind of stops. What about all these people that are, like, really great, and they're better than me, and I, I can't match up to them? Body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ built for you, and the same as them. It doesn't, it's not, that's not what it's about. And then there's all these ways that we look at the world around us. And so the early church tackled this a lot um, when people persecute you, when people um, say terrible things about you, when, they, when, when you are under such intense pain because of how people are treating you and you are reminded, and the body of Christ was broken for you and the blood of Christ was spilled for you. He understands. He's been there. There's nothing that you could go through that God is not familiar with. And then there's these ways that we look at other people well, they're not, they're not as good as me, right? Actually, body of Christ and the blood of Christ spilled for that. And so what do I do in this situation? What do I do in that? How do I respond? How do I live? How should I live? The answer is always the same. This is the answer. The most powerful, intense mind, divine force behind the universe, the keeper and sustainer of all things, we are told came in the flesh and died on a cross. And a cross was a particularly gruesome way of dying. It was a way that they executed traitors against the Roman Empire. And so there is so much there to think about. God facing our earthly constructs of governments and nations and saying, I'm against this. I'm against this. I'm against this. I'm against your arrogance. I'm against your pride. I'm against the way you treat people wrongly. I'm against racism and oppression. I'm against unreconciliation. I'm against um, you talking down to your spouse. I'm against you not um, showing mercy and love to your children. I'm against all of this. The cross gives us the entire message. And so sure, you could fill entire libraries with all the teachings of Christ, but apparently they didn't see a reason to do that. Apparently, the cross was what we needed. And so Paul ends his book with a simple little line. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And so if you understand the cross, then grace sort of becomes your, the center of your being. You become a gracious person because God's grace has been shown to you. And so you start to realize as you look at everything through the lens of the cross, of the divine mind of the universe, suffering a terrible death, lower than the low, And you start to understand 
how many blessings you have, how much good you have, and you start to become a graceful person. And so Paul, all these people are writing these terrible things about him. All these people are saying terrible things. They're destroying his work. And he writes them and he says, hey, we have moved past religion and tribes and nations. We have moved past this. We are building a kingdom. It is centered upon not cutting yourselves. It's not centered upon any of these things. It is centered upon the cross of Jesus. And so on my way out, I say to you, have some grace. Grace and peace to you. You are good enough. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The cross does everything that that we need done. It humbles us. It humbles the proud. It it lifts up the poor. It gives hope to the sinful and the enslaved. Um, It does everything we need it to do. In other words, the cross saves us in millions of ways. From the direction of our lives to the depths of our souls. And that's, that's why Christians, there's this particular prayer that has been prayed for generations and I pray it regularly when I'm just trying to make sense of whatever moment I'm in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's just this reminder, like, no, this is how we move through the world. And he does. And so the best response to this is communion. That's the best way to wrap up any gathering, and that's the best way to wrap up this particular study. So our communion servers, you guys can get the elements and you can um, spread around the room if you would. Communion is, uh, this is the symbol. This is it. I mean, for 2,000 years, Christians get together. No matter what they talk about, it ends with communion. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. In all of our differences, in all of the ways that we disagree with each other, in all of our theological qualms, in all of the ways that we sort of butt heads and we argue, when you put out the body of Christ and the blood of Christ on the table, Christians line up on every side to come to the table because this is what the message is about. This is what we agree upon. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to take communion. And... uh, Take some time before you take communion. Ponder the cross. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people, for this place. You are a good, holy, and perfect God. Move us past the ways that we divide ourselves from each other. Move us past our tribal mindsets that we regularly fall into. The, uh, the binary of we're right, we're, they're, they're evil. Help us to just understand your grace and to take it to them because they need it. And as we take the grace of your son Jesus into our city, may people ask why. May people's eyes be open. May your kingdom grow. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.